always great to see all of you here today. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 as we continue through the series of Christmas songs. We looked at Mary's song last week. We're going to look at Zachariah's song this week. And as I'm reading Luke chapter 1 and thinking about the sermon this Sunday, um, I'm asking myself and, and thinking about this text, like, the question I'm asking is, I mean, have you ever felt like maybe what we're going to see Zachariah and Mary feel like in the sense that you feel like uh, maybe God is calling you to do something through his word. Um, he's asking you to believe something that you're like, man, that's crazy. That's, that's what you're asking me to believe? Like, God, you have to be making a mistake in, in this way. I mean, have you ever felt like, God, this is, this is what you're asking me to do? And if you've ever felt that way, then you're in great company. Because the whole Bible is full of people that are like, God, wait, you can't, we can't do that? That's impossible. Like, what, what are you saying? And that's what we find not just in all of the Bible, but in Luke chapter 1. I mean, last week we were looking at, at Mary, and earlier on in chapter 1, the angel says, hey, you're going to conceive and you're going to have a child, and he's going to be the Messiah. It's going to be Christ our Lord. And Mary's like, whoa, time out. Like, I've only been betrothed. Like, there's no way that I can conceive a child. Like, there's just, there's just no way. I'm too young for this. And then if you look a little bit further in Luke 1, you'll see that Zechariah, the song we're going to see today, the same moment happens. The angel comes to Zechariah, the same angel, and says, hey, you're going to have a child. But his response is opposite to Mary's in the sense that he's like, no, 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 we're not too young. We're too old. Like, I'm 70, my wife's 70, you're, you're telling me we're going to have a kid? Like, when we go to the hospital, they're going to think we need the psych ward, not, not to have a baby, right? Like, we're pregnant, What? And that's the moment that we're seeing right here, that God is calling him to believe that he, God, can do the impossible. And what I love about it is both Mary and Zechariah have the exact same response when God fulfills his promise. When God does the impossible, both of them break out in song before the Lord. So Mary, we looked at last week. Uh, Zechariah this week, and we'll start in chapter 1 of Luke and verse 67. And this is what the word of the Lord says. And his father, that's the father of John the Baptist, that's the one that Zechariah is going to be his son. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, saying. Now, just one quick thing before we keep reading. If you look in your Bible and you see how the paragraph looks a little different, like the person writing this didn't accidentally hit the enter button too much, Right? Um, it's written like this because it's a cadence. It's a song. And it might say that he's prophesied here, but he's singing. He is singing the song. So what we saw last week with Mary, this is a song. And then here, what we'll see on Christmas Eve is the angels singing a song to the Lord in Luke chapter 2. So Zechariah is going to sing the song now. And this is what he says in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of those who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that was swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of the enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. 
And you, child, now he's speaking about John the Baptist. And you, child, should be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our Lord God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Pray with me this morning. Lord, as we open the scriptures and read them, we confess that they were written by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us your truth. Lord, where there is sin in our life, we invite you to show us that we can be forgiven of our sin through our Lord Jesus. God, I pray that our time now, as we look at your word, meditate on it and apply it, I ask that it would be pleasing to you. At the same time, it would be profitable to us. Let me invite you to pray something similar to the Lord now, that the time that we have in his word now would be pleasing to the Lord but also profitable to our lives. Pray that now to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to see your tender mercy towards us today. And as we see it, help us to respond to it with our mind, with our heart, and also with our will. For your good, it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, this passage is not your traditional Christmas passage, not your traditional Christmas song. I mean, as I started and I read it, I said, this is the father of John the Baptist, right? So you might be here sitting here thinking, Why are we reading a song, and you're saying it's a Christmas song, but it's about this guy, John the Baptist. What about Jesus? Well, what's interesting about this song that I just read to you is there's only two verses about John the Baptist. Everything else is about Jesus. See, Zechariah is going to have a son, but his thoughts aren't primarily on his son, but on what his son would do to prepare the way of Christ. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, man, that's pretty messed up. That like this guy has a son, and then he writes this whole song about his son being born, but he only mentions his son twice, and he talks about his his son's cousin like over and over and over again. Like this is what people go to therapy for, right? Like John's getting older, and he's like, oh my goodness, like my dad, like he sang this song when I was born, and everybody loved it. They wrote it down. It's amazing. But like it's not about me. It's about my cousin Jesus, right? Like John could have felt that way, but we know he didn't. Because later on, as John goes to prepare the way of Christ, he says, Christ must increase and I must decrease. And you see it from the very beginning. As his dad sings a song, praising the Lord for what he has done, he highlights Christ, the the Savior and the Messiah. So as we look at this song, there's there's two threads that I want us to see that, that run through this psalm. And then I want to see as those two threads are woven together to show us the fabric of our faith. The fabric of our faith. So the first thread that I want us to grasp is the thread of hope. The thread of hope. The first few verses that I, that I read highlight the hope that Zechariah is singing and praising the Lord for giving him. It's a hope that's kind of threefold. 
You see in verse 68, he's hopeful because the Lord God has visited, visited them. And that's what we're celebrating at Christmas time, right? That God has visited us. That Jesus has come and he has visited us. And this is beautiful. This is hope-filled because God didn't merely look at us and our sin and in our shame and in our brokenness and then pity us from afar. Say, man, I'm really sorry for all that they're dealing with. But no, in Christmas what we find is that Christ takes on flesh and he comes to us in our brokenness, in our sin, in our sorrow to give us relief. This is hope. Think about this. Pause and think about this, that God visited us. Visited us. Earthly kings may visit their citizens, may walk around their city, but they don't ever think about taking on the poverty of these citizens or the sickness of these citizens or the sorrow of them. They could try, maybe, that's even if they wanted to. But what we find is our divine Lord, he visits us and he comes down into our poverty. Though he was rich, became poor for us. He came down into our sickness and our sorrow. He bore our sins in our place. He took our grief on himself. This is what God Almighty, the creator of all things, has done. This is a hopeful thing for us to consider. That God, our King, the King of creation, not over one nation, not over one group of people, over all the universe would come and visit us. Who are we? Who are we that the God of all creation would visit us? The one that created us and sustains us would come to be with us. Makes me think about Psalm 8. Where the psalmist writes, Lord, what is man that you're mindful of him? What's man that you're mindful of him, that you think of him? And what's the son of man that you would visit him? This is exactly what God has done. This is exactly what Zechariah is praising. Even though Christ is still in the womb, he knows that God is here. He's here. Jesus did not merely look look upon us in our difficulties. He didn't just come to teach us or to talk to us or to condemn us. He came to give us salvation. He came to deliver us. And we know that because of the very next words. He has visited us and redeemed his people. Now maybe you already noticed this, but I I love what's happening here. I think that there's something really intentional that Zachariah is doing, okay? Zechariah, if you remember back, Charlie mentioned it at the very beginning of the service, <laughs> that Zechariah has heard from God that his son is going to go and prepare the way of the coming Messiah, Jesus. Zechariah's like, I hear what you're saying about Jesus, but there's no way that we're going to have a kid. He literally doubts that God of all creation could create a child in his wife's womb. And so God shuts up his mouth and he's mute for nine months. He can't say anything. Imagine not being able to speak for nine months. And the last thing you said was a disbelief statement to the angel of the Lord. He's like, no, there's no way this is possible. Okay, you're not going to talk until your son's born. And then Zechariah, as he thinks about his disbelief over those nine months, I believe that roots of faith start to grow in his heart. 
And so when he finally gets to speak again after his son's born, he starts to speak about God's promises with hopeful assurance. He speaks about God's promises and God's movement in the past tense. Did you see that? Look at verse 68 and 69 again. For the Lord has visited, past that, he's, he's visited his people, and he's redeemed his people, and he's raised up the horn of salvation for his people. Wait a second. Wait a second. Zechariah, like, Christ is still in the womb. What are you talking about? He's visited his people. He's redeemed his people. What are you talking about? He's just a, a baby right now. He's raised up the horn of salvation. What are you, how are you talking about this in the past tense? And I believe he has so much faith now. He's looking back and he's like, I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. What the Lord says he can do, and I believe he can do it. And so when he sings this song, he's like, nope, God does everything he says he's going to do. God keeps his word, and his hope is in God's almighty power to visit them and to redeem them. And so even though Christ has not gone to the cross yet, and Zechariah probably doesn't understand what all of that means yet, he knows that the Messiah has come to redeem. And so he says he will do it past tense. He has redeemed his people. Now, this word for redeem here, it really is more of a military term. We talk about buying back or rescuing POWs, prisoners of war. And the king would come and he would say, these are my soldiers that you captured and I want to redeem them. How do I buy these soldiers back from the prison that they're in? And Zacharias, he praises the Lord God Almighty. What he's saying is, we were prisoners of war. We're prisoners to the, to the sin that we have. We're condemned because of our transgressions. And now our king has come. And he's come to redeem us from the fall. This baby at Christmas time, this is a rescue mission. This is a battle. This is a war in which is happening. He is coming to redeem his people. To buy us back from the prison of our sin, our transgressions, our iniquities. And this language of, of warfare continues in the very next verse in 69. It says, he has raised up the horn of salvation for us. This is also where he gets hope. That Christ is going to fight for his people. That he's going to rescue them and redeem them through his might and his power. For so long I always thought that when it said horn of salvation, this was an instrument. You know, like we saw played this morning. Like a horn. And that's not what it is. This is a, a weapon that you would see an ox use on the big horns on their head. Or a buffalo to protect their family or to, to, to rescue. When it talks about this horn of salvation, what Zechariah is doing is he's going back to the Old Testament. He's reaching back and he's pulling this idea of the, the Lord God being the horn of salvation from the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 19, I'm sorry, Psalm chapter 18, verses 1 and 2 says it like this. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. Psalm 18 is using war language again. Speaking how God is both our defense, our shield, our fortress. But he's also our offense. 
He's the deadly and powerful horn of my salvation. This is war language. And it's not just in Psalm 18 that this language is used. Psalm 92 has the same type of language, talking about the Lord being the horn of salvation. 2 Samuel 22, same thing. So what Zechariah is doing is he's remembering all the descriptions of the Lord, the one who fights for his people, the one that rescues his people, the one that redeems his people. And it's stirring up in his heart hope and worship as he thinks about Christ, the horn of salvation, being born, coming to fight for us in our place, to rescue us and redeem us. Now, I don't know if you're one of the 90 million people who have watched the YouTube video, The Battle at Kruger. But this video on YouTube, it, it, it took off years ago, where literally there's a family, they're on an African safari, and they're videoing um, these water buffalo kind of come up over this ledge. And they're just looking at the water buffalo, watching them. And, and, and then they see lions that are crouching. They're crouching down in the brush. They're waiting for these water buffalo to get closer to attack them. And there's one calf that is a little bit dragging behind, and the lions come out, and they're getting this all on video. And the lions come back, and they pounce on this small calf, and they're pinning it down. And the other water buffalo are scattered. And this family is there kind of giving commentary, and they're like, oh my goodness, this calf. And it's like a sad, sorrowful moment as they watch this calf just get torn by these lions. And then this water buffalo comes risking its life to rescue that calf. If you haven't seen a water buffalo before, I mean, they have huge horns, right? This is a picture of it. And he comes back with those horns, and he uses those horns, risking his life to rescue that calf that has been pinned down by these lions. It's amazing. You watch it, and there's one moment in there where this, this water buffalo with his giant horns comes in, and he, he impales one of the lions and throws him up in the air, probably five, ten feet up in the air. It's an amazing moment. And this calf gets up and it walks back into the herd because it's been rescued. It's been rescued by this one water buffalo that came back to save it. Now, what I find fascinating is the Bible talks about the devil, our enemy, as a roaring lion. Looking for someone to devour. And Jesus is that horn of salvation that comes and rescues us from that lion. He redeems us from the curse of our sin. And he doesn't do it by risking his life. He does it by giving his life. You see, this buffalo risked its life, but Jesus would give his life, knowing he would give his life to rescue and redeem it. And Jesus gave his life through hostility and suffering and pain. He knew when he was... Even when he was young, he knew he was going to give his life a ransom for many. He knew he was going to endure such hostility. And he came and visited us. Visited us to give us hope to redeem us. Church, what I've been wrestling in my heart and what I want to challenge you as a church family is that you would look at what Christ has done, how Christ has entered into the hostility to rescue us, and that we would do the same thing. We would do the same thing. All of us know right now that there's two things that are true about our culture. Just two things. One is that there's a deep hunger in our culture. There's a hunger for something that will satisfy us. We're longing for it. 
And that's true. It's there. There's another thing that's true in our culture. That there is more hostility than maybe ever that we've seen just in our culture and our time towards people looking at the bread of life that can satisfy. And what God is calling us to do is to be willing to go into the hostility to bring the bread of life to those who hunger. Would we look at the example that Christ had who went through the hostility to rescue us, for us to endure the hostility to get to those who are spiritually hungry. Now the only way, the only way I believe that we're going to get through the hostility to get to those who are hungry is to believe the truth of God's word. That he says that there are those that are spiritually hungry, that, that God is working and he's moving in other people's hearts and lives, ways that we don't even know or understand, but God is moving because he visits his people. And he's working to redeem his people. And so we're willing to journey in through the hostility because we know that God is at work. And we want to bring this good news of great joy to all people. Christmas time is not just for those who, who want to just come to church once or twice, but this is for all people. So would we be willing to endure hostility to get to the spiritually hungry and bring them this hope that God has visited us? Not to condemn us, but to convict us and to redeem us. For he is the horn of salvation that is fighting for us. May we believe and cling to this. So there's a thread of hope that we find in this passage. But there's also a major thread that is found in this text and in all the Bible. And it's the thread of promise. The thread of promise. See, G Christmas time, Christmas is saturated with the joy of fulfilled promise. Mary talked about it last week in her song. Zechariah talks about it this week in his song. The whole idea that God has promised these things and that he's going to fulfill his promise. And Zechariah sings it in his song in multiple different ways. In verse 70 he says, these prophets of old, these people in generations past have talked about the saving power of the Lord. And then in verse 72 he says, He's going to show us the mercy promised to our fathers. There was a mercy that was promised generations and generations before. And God's going to keep it. And then the last part of verse 72, to remember his holy covenant. That God has made covenant commitments to his people. And he's going to keep every single one of them. And God gives prophecy and promises because he's sovereign over all. He knows the future, and so he can tell you what's going to happen. He can speak to his promises and keep every one of them, for he is all-powerful. It will come to pass everything that he has promised, because our God keeps his word. Keeps his word. Now, I'm a, I'm a little encouraged with how Zachariah struggles in the waiting. How he even doubts in the waiting. That's oftentimes what happens to us. When we go into those times where we're like, I'm really struggling as I wait for you. We remember God's promises. God, you said that you would provide. And so I'm trusting in you. But this waiting and trusting through this hard time leads us to doubt. And Zechariah has been waiting for the, the coming of the Messiah for, for, I mean, God hasn't spoken for 400 years. God's people has been, been waiting for years and years for God to fulfill his promise. 400 years has passed from the Old Testament 
to the New Testament. I mean, let that sink in. God has made these promises. And a generation comes and they're waiting. A generation passes and they don't see an answer yet. A generation comes and they're waiting and a generation passes. So when the angel comes to Zechariah and says, hey, the promises are being fulfilled, his first response is like, what, what? That was 400 years ago. It was a long time ago. I mean, to bring that up to, to today's time, if we could think back, if we were waiting for a promise from 400 years ago, we'd be walking around watching William Shakespeare write plays. We'd see Galileo with his telescope. Well, we'd still be waiting 150 years for America as a nation to exist. I mean, that gives you an idea of how long this, these people have waited for God to fulfill his promises. But God is faithful. And he will keep every single one of his promises. And it leads him to praise God as he fulfills these promises. But our temptation is to doubt. But I would challenge you to trust. To trust my kids right now remind me all the time of things I've promised them or things that I've told them that I'm going to do. They, they, they do. Uh, this past week, uh, one of my kids is finishing up his last bite of vegetables, and he's like, eat my vegetables? Dad, you said I could get dessert when I finish the vegetables. And I'm like, I know, son. I, I was here. <laughs> I, I was the one that spoke it. Like, I, rem I remember what I said. One of my other kids was like, Dad, on Friday, on Friday, you said we could play, like, Nintendo Switch on Saturday. It's Saturday now, right? Like, so you got to remember what you promised. Fulfill your promise to me, Dad, right? And in that time where they're waiting, no matter how short, no matter how long it is, they're like, are you going to come through? Are you going to do what you said you're going to do? And a lot of us feel that way with God. But God always comes through. And a lot of times we sit there and we're like trying to remind God, hey, God, remember, you promised this, you said this. And God's like, I know. I was there when I spoke the words. I know, I've, I've seen the future, I'm going I'm to keep all these promises. And I would challenge us to remove our, our fear and anxiety and be filled with trust in the Lord. This is what God's promises are meant to do. God could give none of us promises. He could have just said, this is just what's going to happen, but he promises us. And these promises and these prophecies are meant to give us assurance. Look at verses 74 and 75. After he sung these amazing songs about God's promised mercy and his prophets of old and his holy covenant, he says, this is why I've done all this. End of verse 74. You might serve him without fear. Without fear. In holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. God has given you his word packed full of all these promises and all these mercies. So that your heart wouldn't fear. And so often I believe we carry these burdens of fear and anxiety because we're not going to God's word. We're not remembering his promises. We're not trusting in him. Instead we're being filled with doubts and anxieties. And this song is reminding us, no, Christmas is a time to remember what God said he did. God said he was going to visit us, and he did. God said he was going to redeem us and forgive us of our sins, and he did. God was going to be the mighty warrior that would fight to free us, and he did it. He did it. And so as we look at his promises fulfilled, 
may it stir in our hearts to live without fear. One of my favorite promises or one of my favorite verses in all the Bible is actually Proverbs 31 where it talks about a Proverbs 31 woman, a woman who fears the Lord. And it says in there that she's a woman who laughs at the times to come. She laughs at the times to come. Do you know what that means? It's not that she's ignorant or she's stupid. If you read all of Proverbs 31, I mean, this is a very smart, strong woman. And she laughs at the times ahead because she is trusting in the Lord. That's where her peace rests, in the promises of God. And so may we lean in to trust in the promises of God so that we can serve him without fear. And it doesn't stop with without fear, but also with holiness and righteousness. That we would live right lives before the Lord. That we could be holy because Christ has washed away our sins. He has done the work so that now we can serve him in holiness, pure, and in righteousness. How long? All of our days, verse 75 says. All of our days. Because, because of this thread of promise, God fulfills all that he has promised. All that he's promised. So as we wait, let us trust in him. Let us trust in him. So Zacharias sings, sings loudly of the threat of hope and the threat of promise. But then the last thing we see is John the Baptist being mentioned as he takes the thread of hope and the thread of promise and weaves the fabric of salvation. Weaves the fabric of salvation. It's the last thing we find here. Now, like I mentioned at the very beginning, there's only two verses in this whole song that talk about John the Baptist. Two verses. And both of those verses are pointing to what Christ has done and will do for us. And it tells us in verse 77 that he has come to prepare the way to give the knowledge of salvation. What does that mean? What is he saying? What is he proclaiming when he talks about giving the knowledge of salvation? If you keep going at the end of verse 77, John the Baptist is going to come on the scene. He's going to talk about how this Messiah, this Lamb of God would forgive their sins. Would forgive our sins. This is where salvation starts, realizing our need. For many of us, we've, we've waited so long and you've heard people talk about salvation. You've heard people talk about Christ coming at Christmas, but you've never realized your great need for the Savior. And John, as he gets on the scene, he says, no, no, no. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. We need this. And so he starts and he talks about where we are in our brokenness, shackled to our sin, under the fall and the curse of our sin. And that's where he starts. Now, it's, it's really easy for us to read that and be like, man, that is really good news for all these other people outside the church. I really wish that all these people that don't know Jesus were in here so they could like hear about Jesus. But if you actually go and you study and you read, John the Baptist primarily went to go speak to religious people. And he would tell them, hey, you need forgiveness of your sin. And they're like, whoa, whoa, no, 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 John, you don't understand. Like, we've grown up in the synagogue. Like, we've memorized the Bible. Like, we've probably memorized books of the Bible. We went to all the festivals, like Easter and Christmas. We kept all of those. Like, we're good, John. John's like, no. You're the very people that Christ came to save. 
For all of us need a Savior. All of us need a Savior. No matter how close you might feel to God or how far away, you cannot get to God the Father apart from Jesus Christ. There is no other way for us to be saved. So John preaches this message, and religious people, they're like, yeah, we've read the Bible, we've known this, but we've never realized our own sin. We've never made it personal. And as they make it personal, they're, they're baptized as a, a picture of their sins being washed away. But not by their works, not by the works of John. John's going to see Jesus coming down the road, and he's going to say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. This is how he's taking the hope that they had for the Messiah, the promise of the coming Messiah. And John weaves them together to show that this hope and this promise come together to bring salvation to all who believe. All who believe. This is good news of great joy for all people. For all people. Now if you're here, maybe you're online, you're like, man, that's, that's rough, Ryan. You're calling me a sinner? John's calling me a sinner? Like, Jesus came for sinner? Like, you're saying that? That seems harsh. That seems brash. No, it is the mercy of God that he would show us our need that we could be saved. Look at the very next verse in 78. He's, he's proclaiming this truth of forgiveness of our sins. Why? Because of the tender mercy of our God. Tender mercy, not the harsh mercy, not the brash mercy, the tender mercy of God. And then he starts to describe what this tender mercy looks like as God comes to us at Christmas to rescue and redeem. And he says it's like a sunrise. Look at that in verse 78. Whereby the sunrise, the sunrise shall visit us. Same language used earlier on, God has visited us. This is a word, sunrise, as you use it as God comes to visit his people from on high. God comes like a sunrise in our darkness. And this is the mercy of Jesus. This is the mercy of Jesus. Now think about the words that could have been chosen in this song. It could have said that Jesus comes like a candle. He's this light in the darkness, which is great. A candle or a flashlight is good when it's a, a dark time. But the candle or the flashlight doesn't change darkness. It doesn't turn darkness today. It doesn't do it. It gives a little light in the midst of the darkness. But that's not what Jesus came to do. He came as the sunrise. It doesn't read that Jesus was like a lightning bolt that flashed this great flash and you could see for a minute that there's a storm going on and there's rain battering down and there's all this despair around us and then it's gone. That's not what it says the coming of the Christ is like. It doesn't say that the coming of Christ is like a, a, a shooting star that bursts into view for a moment and you look at it and you think, that's gorgeous. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's rare. But it doesn't change anything. No, it says he comes like the sunrise. The sunrise, the sun changes dark to light. He comes to those in darkness and he brings light. He turns night to day. This is what Jesus does. 
He banishes the night. The sun changes things. And this morning, as I'm watching the sun rise, as you see this picture of a sunrise, this comes to my mind as I'm thinking about this passage. When the sunrise comes with, without noise or effort, and it removes the blackness, removes the night. Night literally stretches out its wings and it flees before the sunlight. And the sun shines its, its light like arrows. And this is what the coming of Jesus is like. He takes away the darkness of our sin. He removes our sorrow and gives us hope. He takes away our fear and despair and replaces it with something of substance, of hope and joy. For those that have trusted in Christ to forgive them of their sins and have experienced the fabric of salvation, our night has ended. It has ended once and for all. In our day as believers, we might have the cloud of sorrow hang over us or depression, but the night of our sin will never return again because Christ has removed it as far as east is from the west. His sun has shone on us. This is the beauty. This is the beauty of Christmas. And this light does not come to those who are in good places, but those who are in the darkest of places. Look at verse 79. He gave light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Do you know who sits down in darkness? The person who has lost all hope. Think about somebody who's traveling a trail out in the middle of the woods and it's a dark night with no moon shining and they can't find the trail. They've looked and they've continued to get lost and now they feel more lost than ever. And so what do you do? You just give up and you sit down in your darkness because there's no hope. You feel that there's no hope. You even feel the breath of death on you. You feel the shadow of death there. And those are the ones that Christ comes for, comes to. So if you look at your life and you're like, man, I feel the darkness of my sin. I feel the, the death of this moment. Whether it's a health issue that you have or you look at friends or family members who have passed. Christ came to give light and to give hope those who are sitting in darkness and those who are in the shadow of death. This is the hope and the joy of Christmas. This is the fabric of salvation that Christ brings to us in his tender mercies. And as he shines this light, what it does at the end of verse 79 is it tells us he will guide our feet to the way of peace. Jesus will even speak the words later from his own mouth. That in this world you will have trouble, but I give you peace. He knows that there's a broken world out there. But Christ came to give us peace. And he says, not as the world gives you peace. Not temporary not fleeting, it's permanent peace. As light shines, he leads us to the way of peace, the way of salvation. So as you hear this song, it's much more than a song, it is an invitation. It is an invitation for us to respond. This song speaks to, to our minds with the truth of who God is. He has visited us. He has redeemed us. He's the horn of our salvation. It speaks to our mind. But it also speaks to our hearts. 
Our hearts that are filled with anxiety are filled with worry. And he says, I don't want you to fear. I want you to walk in holiness. I don't want you to walk in darkness all of your days. But it also speaks to our will. It speaks to our will that we would respond to this invitation. That John starts by proclaiming the way of the Lord. The way of light and the way of peace. So will you respond to God's stirring today? Even if you feel like you're in the midst of midnight darkness, if you're in the breath of death itself, would you respond to the peace and the light that Jesus offers you today? Bow your heads with me. Lord, I want to I wanna talk to any soul here that's, that's burdened with the sin of darkness. To turn and to believe and be forgiven of their sin. Would you here today, if God's been stirring your heart, he's doing it because he's extending an invitation to you. An invitation for you to believe, not just with your mind, not just love some of the words that are on the, the page or the feel of Christmas, but that you would bow your will to him. That you would see his tender mercy to visit you. To see his great might to be the horn of salvation that can rescue you from the depths of whatever darkness that you are in. Would you see that today? Come to the peace and the light of Christ and find joy in him. I beg of you and I plead of you to do that right now. That you would pray and ask God to rescue and redeem you. That's why he came. He wants to do that. So would you pray to him? Or if you have questions about what it means that Christ is the light, what it means to have sin and transgression that you have to be forgiven of, then immediately after service, would you risk maybe just a little bit of time or a little bit of what others may think, would you risk that to go and talk to somebody at Next Steps to, to ask those questions and to respond to the truth of God's word today. Would you be so bold to trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Christ, we praise you. We praise you for that is what you have come to do. At Christmas time, you have come to give your life to forgive us of our sins. You've come to be the light of the world, to guide our feet from our dark sins to the place of peace. And we praise you for Holy Spirit, help our hearts to respond to that truth well as we sing, as we bring our tithes and our offerings, and even as we go on mission for you this week from neighborhoods to nations. To the glory of your name. Amen. Church, let's stand, let's sing and rejoice at what Christ has done for us.